she explained that she declared me to be her best friend forever without having before she actually met me. Welcome to I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside, the second most weekly monthly podcast on the internet. <laughs> well played, sir. So is is they smell I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Is that technically a monthly show? We we are a bi weekly. Okay. Bi weekly as in twice a week or as in every other week? Every other week. Yeah. If I did two of these a week, my head might explode. Wait. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, I actually had the interesting moment where I was talking to someone and they found out I had a podcast and I was like, bitch, please, I got three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, if I count all the ones that I'm hosting now, I, I've lost count. <laughs> Let's see, there's uh, Backseat Producers. Backseat Quickies, Backseat Box Office, Backseat uh, Book Club, Backseat Reality, which is pod faded, um, News from the Backseat, which only had two episodes, um, Tony's Losing It, which pod faded but may or may not come back. Well, it is New, new Year's resolution season is upon you. It's coming up. It is it is fast approaching, and uh, and I'm also hosting uh, Jack Mangan's Deadpan podcast. Yeah, and if I ever get off my butt, this one too probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a new home, Scott? I don't know. I would like to actually get. I, I built a site in WordPress. I would like to get that running somewhere. Yeah, we can make that happen. Yeah, just. And, and, you know what, and you know what? I could probably then also give you rights to the the server, and you could just upload your own damn shows. Yes, I could. That would be kind of awesome, too. <laughs> I'd, I'd still find a way to make Lena do the show notes for things. Oh, that's how I do it. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, could you do the show notes for, for the result show, which are ostensibly two sentences long? Yeah. And she takes care of it. She's oh. awesome. She she always she always makes it happen. My name is Scott, by the way. And I'm Tony. And I'm Chrissy. And before we do pick of the week, I just want one article of news I want to bring up. Um so they just announced that the next Conan the Barbarian movie yes. is going to star Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw that. I am totally fine with this. I'm kind of cool with it, too. <laughs> I've already got the Conan and the Barbarian and Discworld crossover going on in my head. 
Oh, man. Cohen. Cohen would totally win. Come on. Well, yeah. He's got, like, a horde of dudes with 380 years of barbarian experience between them. And if anything, the luggage will probably just jump in and end the fight if needed. That luggage. It's a crafty, crafty trunk. But there's always, like, the, that the, that set of Conan stories where he's old and crotchety and, like, has to win back his kingdom. I'm cool with that. And I'm like, that would be a fine movie. Have Have you seen the... the uh... The, the the talk about it where they said, yeah, we're because people asked, you know, what what about the last Conan Barbarian Conan the Barbarian movie with uh, Jason Momoa? And they're like, yeah, he's not coming back. And you remember Conan the, the Destroyer? That didn't happen either. <laughs> well, have you heard the audio commentary to uh, the Barbarian? No. Well, you hit this point where it, it's Arnold and the director, and you hit this point about partway through, and they say, you know, this was really fun. Why didn't we do a second one? And then the director goes, we did. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> like, he finally remembered it happened, and then he remembered why he forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and you could just hear him go through all the stages of realization in those two words. Yeah, because that was not a good movie. No. Not even close. But yeah, uh, pick of the week where things are cool. Uh, Chrissy, do you want to go first? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think my pick of the week would probably stems from my radio love would be the CBC Radio 2 morning show with Tom Power. Because um, I just love the random news bites that Tom gives and then he puts, puts stuff on his Twitter. But today it was um, how, super, uh, how Clark Kent quit his day job. And I was just thinking about that today at work. And I was like, man, if Clark Kent can quit his day job... Maybe I could, too. Yeah, well, see, Superman has a, a fallback plan of he's Superman. That might like be can, true. Like, he can kind of just go grab coal and smash it into diamonds with his bare hands if he ever has trouble, you know, making rent on the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, I unfortunately cannot do that. So day job probably needs to be kept. I mean, really, he does—he does have things to maintain. Like he's got a zoo of extinct animals up there. That's true. Though, you know his his weird science experiments he does sometimes. Though, if you think about it, if he's gonna—I mean, he could really devastate the world diamond market. Well, actually, yeah, because the diamond market depends entirely on De Beers having a monopoly, so they can crank up the price by about two thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. And he could, like, completely just shut them down. Go in, carve out his own diamond mine with his laser vision. And then uh, just make a diamond the size of, like, a football. Or 12 of them. Well, that there is that planet they found, like, 2400 trillion light years away that is made entirely out of diamond. Well, there you go. He could be he there could bring in that 15 back. minutes. Yeah, like 15, 20 minutes. 
Just, just you know. See Superman. Come on. He's Superman. Then rebuild the Great Wall of China with his eyes. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, Superman 3 and 4. You know, because I have a young child who, when he saw Superman 4 for the first time, was just... It was kind of like he had he did the same thing with the Spider-Man three, where we had to watch it over and over and over again. You can see watching the movie where because Christopher Reeve was a producer on Superman four, and like drew the people to back it and and stuff like that. You can see what the logic was, and and. Where there were there were glimpses of what could have been a good movie built into it. And then how at every turn they made mistake. Like the Cylons, they had a plan. And then at every turn, mistake after mistake after mistake happened. And the plan looked like there was no plan at all. That's true. All right, so my pick of the week is going to go to a different comic by Mr. Brian Clevenger. Uh, the Avengers and the Infinity Gauntlet. He got a chance to rewrite uh, the Infinity Gauntlet storyline uh, for young, for like the young audience's label. And I finally tracked down the collection of it, which is in a little digest-sized paperback. And it features Doctor Doom and the Hulk arguing for shotgun on a space big rig. That sounds awesome. The Hulk gets to ride shotgun because really you think he's gonna you really think anyone's gonna tell him otherwise? Yeah, no could no kidding. Who's gonna argue with the Hulk at that point? Because that's just Hulk's dumb. Mom. Well. Yeah. Like it 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 is all the stupid fun of comic books. In a very nice little size. And Spider-Man is just really excited to go to space. (laughs) I don't blame him. I would love to go to space. We're in space. I would totally be into that. Okay, Tony, what you got? What I got, if uh, you've seen on Facebook or the Twitters or even on Goodreads, I just like yesterday, finished Ready Player One. And this is the first book in a long time that I read sub one week. Like, I I purchased the book on Sunday and finished it yesterday, which for me, considering most people know how much free time I have, which is none, <laughs> and, and, um, and I'm pretty notoriously slow at reading, but I just ripped through that book and loved every bit of it. And uh, in fact, I started listening to Backseat Book Club's first episode, and I have some bones to pick with some things that were said, but uh, I think uh, I will perhaps save those for a voicemail to be included in a feedback show there. Yes. That sounds fair, but I so far I have enjoyed the commentary. Yep. Uh, Paul made some particularly interesting statements 
that uh, that that ring very interestingly. Like uh, I, I like how he pointed out the fact that everyone, all the main characters in that book are basically autistic. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I never put that that word to that, but I can totally see it. It totally makes sense. But yeah, uh, I also, uh, and I didn't, I haven't heard everybody's real comments about everything, but for me, the 80s references all hit almost perfectly because like Halliday, who created the, o- the Oasis, was born in like early 1972, and I was born in like early 1971. So, so I have like, all those same touch point references. And for me, it just, every one of them just hit really, really nicely. Some of the more obscure, um, anime and, um, uh, monster stuff were a little bit off for me, but almost everything else was, was spot on. And, uh, when he, that last time he sits down and enters his password, I saw a reindeer flotilla and I might've chubbed up a little bit because I knew exactly what that reference was from. All right. So main topic for this time around is atomic robo, a indie comic series, uh, written by, uh, Brian Clevenger of various internet fame and drawn by Scott Wegner, who draws a lot like Mike Mignola. <laughs> yes, he does. Wow. In the best ways. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's it's like a a cooler, cleaner version of Magnolia. Yeah, I will definitely say that. So, opening thoughts from anyone? Action science, bitches! <laughs> Action science, bitches! Yeah, that's the 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 whole concept of action science is just so out there and fun that you just, you, you immediately understand exactly what they're talking about and just how ridiculous it is and how really the only, the only reasonable characters for this story are people like Tesla and, and, uh, and Hawking and Sagan. And (laughs) I mean, it's just, and, and, and a sentient robot. Yeah. It's really the only way to go with something like this. Like, okay, we, when you you have to explain this to someone, you, at some point you will have to explain this comic to someone, and you will say, well, it is about the adventures of an atomic-powered robot built by Nick Tesla as he tries to better the world through the power of punching things and advanced electrical engineering. <laughs> and action science. Action science. He roams the earth with a team of action scientists. Yes. And from from that sentence, you're either completely lost or totally on board. Yeah, Andrew described. I mean, Andrew was supposed to be with us tonight, and and he couldn't make it. But it was his talking about it during some of the recordings of Backseat Box Office that led me to to this. And I picked up episode one or episode issue one of book one on Comicsology for free. And I was about halfway through it. And I did that because the whole rest of the series was half off on Comixology. And about halfway through the issue, I closed the book 
went to the sales page and immediately bought the whole rest of the series. <laughs> just sight unseen after reading half of the first issue. I was just I, I was just that much in love with what I was reading. Yeah, and I, I should mention that I have been a fan of Brian Clevenger's writing for about 10 years now, possibly longer, freshman year of high school. That is a disturbing long, wow. long time. Now, if I'm understanding right, was that from his uh, 8-bit theater days? Yep, that, that, that's from 8-bit theater, way back when it was still in the low double digits. Uh, I have not read any of 8-bit theater ever. You, you should. You should. <laughs> yeah. Holy I mean, crap! I've been a fan of his for like eleven years. Yeah. After reading all this, I, I will. I, I will go back and read it. Atomic Roman. That's the. It's the kind of comic I wish was around when I was in high school. Because I would have been. I mean, I'm all over it now. But I would have been all over it then. I probably would have been like the only cool kid in my high school that was reading it. I could live with that. I think for me, one of the things that I really love about it is, well, action science and just the the name action science. Like they're taking it out of like the passive, you know, in the back room doing something that people don't really understand. And they're bringing it to the forefront saying it's action. It's about doing things like really messed up, crazy. There are giant outs out there and we will fix this problem. Yeah. By throwing Buicks. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, ooh, how are we going to fix this? And then Atomic, and then Robo's usually like, I'm going to punch it a lot. <laughs> I just I'm going to use my violence yeah, on I it. I just use my violence on them. <laughs> Scott, you and I must be like looking at the same pages at this point. <laughs> Dude, I have are you read my them? trades so much. There are pages that are burned into my brain. <laughs> Like, the the Scottish Commando from Volume 2 almost <laughs> makes sense to me. Yeah, oh, that guy's great. And Dr. Dinosaur. Oh, so amazing. I don't know who Dr. Dinosaur on Twitter is, but he's awesome. But, okay, so... Well, let's just do... Like, because there's, like, six trades now. And let's just break those down one by one and go over that, and we'll call that an episode. No, that's... That could probably be three episodes if we if we took too much time to break that down. Yeah. So volume one, which is a set of standalones that just introduce us to the crazy world in which Robo lives. Yeah, I mean I I think that describes it. It's it's a lot of setup, a lot of introducing you to this wacky cast of characters that because it's I mean it's it's called Atomic Robo. But as you get to to know about the the rest of the team, they they make they make it worthwhile because he has to have someone to interact with. Yeah, and you know he does ban- banter about with his various villains. Like you see him, you know, bandy bandy words with Baron Helsingrad quite well, or Von Helsingrad because you know that makes sense. Yeah. German name for a Russian town. What? <laughs> and uh, it also 
Like, and it's not all just him punching, you know, Nazi brains in jars. It's like, uh, we, we need you to go to Mars because we're afraid we're going to, you know, crash the probe into the six feet into the ground. Oh, that was so great. That that whole oh, sequence I... where where he's just pissed off and and stacking rocks. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> like, he gets to go to Mars. And it's like unprecedented, you know, incredible opportunity for science. And he spends 18 months piling rocks, spelling out that Stephen Hawking is a dick. Is a bastard. Honestly, if I was on a journey that would take me about two-thirds of a year, and I got screwed over by entertainment choices... I would probably do the same thing. Yeah, so my son just turned 10 and I I found that our library system had the first trade available. So I grabbed it for him and put it in with his stuff he was checking out and I said, "Here, read this." And he's like, "Whatever." <laughs> so one day I, I, I see him, he's sitting on the couch, or he's sitting on the recliner, he's kicked back and he's reading it. I could see he's reading it. And all of a sudden he just starts giggling like a fiend. Like, like I saw something I'm not supposed to see. <laughs> I was like, you got to Mars, didn't you? And he just starts, he's just giggling like a hyena and nodding. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I knew that was coming. It's okay that you saw that. It's kind of funny, isn't it? He's like, yeah, it's pretty great. Oh, and I love that you just have this little cameo from uh, Carl Sagan, which comes back so awesome later. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, big-time action scientist, friends with Carl Sagan, has a rival with Stephen Hawking. This is part of it, and then it gets bigger. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I mean, it's so big. And there's... I love how they don't they don't even mince anything about the fact that he's been alive for what 70 80 years. Yeah, cuz not a little lot e- more than that. Well, each each story takes place in a diff- slightly different time period. Right. So they they jump around like 30 years in the first volume. And there's the the point where it's like set in the late 90s and he's doing an interview and it's like you know, you've been to Mars twice and fought in three wars and done all this stuff. How do you feel? And then it cuts to him answering a letter from one of his Korean war buddies' daughters. Yeah, and that, that was that, like good. your your heart just breaks a little. And he doesn't bring up how old he is and how it's hard to leave people behind. He brings up it's like, you know, I do a great um, insert dead comedian here impression. No one really gets that joke anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And it was, I mean, it was really subtly heartbreaking. Because you you get the idea that, I mean, he's he's a jokester. He goofs around. Um, he loves cracking one-liners. But there is a soul there. And it's, I mean, some of those some of those moments like that bring a gravitas to the story that you don't expect. Yeah. And it never really and it doesn't like 
and he never comes back to it again. It's never like he keeps coming back to this idea of, you know, the, this sort of like Highlander the TV series who wants to live forever bullshit. It's just like this one moment and that's all you need to get it. Yep. Yeah. It's Cause, it's enough. Because if, if you go on the Atomic Robo website, they have like their mission statement. It's like, th- this is what we think is wrong with comics. We promise not to do that. <laughs> And one of those points is no wangst. Yeah. I mean, part of the part of the thing with that is that it's tough when you come from a different a different era of comic book reading. Because like when we were reading comics in the eighties, we didn't have the the instant gratification of being able to at any point in time go to the internet and and have the complete history of a character summarized for us you know on wikipedia or comicpedia or whatever um we didn't have the you know the the six issue arc and then within a month after the sixth issue drops the trade of that six issue arc coming out so you could immediately catch up on all the backstories for less than the price of less than the cover price of buying those books retail so what what modern comic book readers see as you know wangsty and and overbearing and repetitive was necessary to comic book readers at that time because the the information wasn't as readily available and comic book writers in particular, were it was drilled into their heads that every issue is somebody's first issue. And they weren't writing definitive arcs the way they are now, where it's like you pick up a book and you know exactly which part of which story arc it is because they tell you. It's like it's just a story. So it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough because you, you, you go back and you look at it and it's, it's dated because at the time that was the only way you could tell those stories. All right, Chrissy, what do you got to say about volume one? Is it about the Uh, mummies? The mummies. I was trying, I can't remember which volume was it where you get to see like, um, the like teen teen robo where he's like wailing against the confines of being in Tesla's lab and he wants to do things his own way. Was that in volume two? I think that was volume three or not volume, volume three. three. Um, <gasps> vo- volume five where yeah. you get sort of robo begins. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I'm pretty sure it's volume five as well. Yeah. Okay. Cause then I was going to talk about that, so I will not talk about that. But I was just going to say, um, I really like that there was so much in the first volume that it wasn't just you know going to Mars or the Nazis. There's like the clockwork mummies and walking pyramids and like so many different different adventures. And I get, and I think the one thing that I really liked is that it didn't spend so much time trying to. To build up, like, okay, so here's a t- this atomic robot, and 
he does all this stuff, there's kind of like threw you right into it and trusted that as a reader, you would pick up on what was going on and then that you would trust the writers enough to take their time in telling you the backstory, telling you the story of your, of the characters. And I think that this is the thing. It's, it's a great introduction to the character in the world without being an origin. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like, Like you, by the end of it, you know what Robo is and what he does and how he does it without sort of, you know, and then my parents died and then I trained in a monastery and, you know, got my second PhD. <laughs> no, I mean, they they pretty much tell you everything you need to know about him. He's obviously a robot. Well, yeah. I mean... A robot who wears pants. You can't get around that. <laughs> and, you know, once you know that he's been design, designed and built by Nikolai Tesla, well, that explains quite a bit more if you know anything about Tesla. And from there, once he says action science, it's it, it kind of all just fits together. They uh, The humor is evident from the beginning. And you can tell that the character just doesn't take himself seriously. Even though he's doing very serious, very potentially earth-shattering things, literally. Like he takes the job seriously. He ch- he takes the job seriously, but not himself. And that comes up in the most recent trade that we'll get to, but... Yeah, but he doesn't take himself seriously. Yeah. And also, Jenkins. Because goddamn Jenkins is awesome. Yes. Like, even the bits of you see him in Volume 1, you know... Jenkins is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so volume two, which is the first like full set of complete stories, uh, or one complete story in one volume, is set during World War II, when the U.S. Army taps Robo to um, recover some stolen uh, Tesla tech that the Nazis are planning to use against uh, the Allies. And so you see him you know, punch his way through Europe and various Nazi super science projects. Yeah, he's got to destroy the um, the, the Laufpanzers, the, yeah. the walking tanks. And um, also a weather cannon. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because it, it plays on all the, the weird war stuff that a lot of comic books have, have touched on at various points. Um it, it was Captain America the movie before Captain America the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Like that same sense of crazy fun and Nazi punching. Exactly. And um, we also get introduced to the uh, to the Scottish soldier during during this arc, too. Yes, the, the Scottish commando and uh, the sparrow. Yes. Yeah. The Scottish, the Scottish commando. commando is just sort of a proto-Jenkins. Nothing he says makes sense because his uh, accent is too thick. Yeah. But you you can't stop him. <laughs> no. No, no, no. He, 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 you, you can put any obstacle in front of him and he will say, Ock! And then surmount it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the the exact sequence. 
where um, where Robo like crawls up onto the beach, and and it's only half of him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, I hear it is, uh, and he says, uh, "You're looking right gubbed." <laughs> if that's a word for being cut in half and dragging yourself across the seafloor with one hand, then that's one hell of a language you've got there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm just thinking of his like infiltration of the Nazi castle where it's like, Muckledown Cliff. <laughs> yes. Muckledown Tower. <laughs> Muckledown Nazis. <laughs> And there's that one Nazi who finds all the explosives, and his only reaction is, I don't even like Hitler. Yes. Yeah, that was... The the comedy is so great, because it's... Quite a bit of it is is basically winking at the the, the reader. Yeah. You know, at no point did that not... That that soldier... should, Should that soldier have even said anything... But the fact that he says that is totally for the reader, and it's great. It's it's just so fun. And I love that um, Robo and the Sparrow do not get along, mm. and it never changes. Like, not even the grudging respect moment. It's just like, damn Yank, bitch. <laughs> I love the Sparrow. <laughs> I'm She's amazing. Not gonna lie, and I just I think a lot of what's really great in this issue is again that they're you know they don't fall into the the traps that a lot of other comics or other things fall into in that you know like Robo and the Sparrow just do not get along, and that's it. And whereas most comics would be like, oh, you know, what? we'll get the grudging respect. Or, you know, like, the Sparrow's going to do something and she'll get mortally wounded and Robo will be like, no, and then go on the rage. But they don't do that. Um, and I just, the uh, the whole idea of weaponizing weather, I think it's, it was really, really interesting and um, kind of, oh. Uh, I lost the train of where I was going with that. <laughs> but if anyone was going to build a weather ray, it, it would be Tesla. Yeah. Seriously. He did build an earthquake machine. Yeah, I totally lost what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So volume three, which I think might still be my favorite one. Yet, I mean, I know so. I know Savage Sword of Doctor Dinosaur is coming, and that will change everything. Yeah, I I liked the. I'm not I'm not a big fan of Lovecraftian stories, but well, this I, this is just a story that has Lovecraft in it, <laughs> right? Exactly. Which I mean doesn't throw me because I I you know from the beginning it was like oh we're gonna have one of those kind of stories. But what I really dug about it was the storytelling method of this creature keeps coming back. And at different points, Robo has to stop him. And instead of just making it a recurring 
theme through the series that we see volume after volume after volume. And they could have used this story to to show up throughout each volume, you know, in, in each different time period that he's in. And, and just use that as kind of a recurring thing to almost as like a time placeholder. But I'm really glad that because they've already established that he's alive in all these different eras, they can just cut through all that BS and compress all of that stuff into this volume. And just show us glimpses of where he's at at each of those time periods when this thing keeps cropping back up. And I dug that because yes. it's a little bit different than how a linear comic book would handle it. Because, you know, in the 1930s, they wouldn't know that they'd still be writing stories in the 90s or in the 2000s. You know, the 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 writers wouldn't, you know, Siegel and Schuster would have realized that, you know, Superman would be alive today and everything that has, you know, happened since they created that character. Uh but it's nice with this character because they, they just allow him to exist in all these timelines and, and they just keep bringing that, that eternal evil that just keeps coming back period after period after period. It's, it's a cool way to tell that story. And I really dug it. Well, I, I guess worth noting for the initiated is that one uh, the writers of this comic have pretty much everything planned out. At least so far, they, they keep every now and again new things keep popping up and they find places to slot it in. But a lot of the big points have already been planned. And that uh, the, the story of Volume 3 is again one continuous story uh, in which uh, an alternate dimensional being bent on destroying all reality comes out of H.P. Lovecraft's head and Robo defeats it in four separate time periods. And I gotta say, this what really shines here is the moment at the end when robos of four different time periods are interacting with each other, and that you see that each one is a distinct character. Yes. Like, there's the point where they all tell the youngest one to shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you're like, Wow. That's the neatest part of this. I know for me, one thing that I that I really liked about this volume um, was that it showed um, a lot of Robo's humanity, and like it, it could have taken the route that Robo would, you know, he'd get more knowledge as he lived his robot existence. And then, but not focused on the emotional side of things. But he, like, you actually do get to see him grow and change throughout this, this book, and while well, telling his younger, get to see them rag on his younger self. But um, you know, you get to see how his experiences have changed his outlook slightly. And yeah, that's. I think that's really cool. I like that idea of a robot actually having humanity yeah. and you also get to see like you know tesla die and grow up really at the same time because you see him just starting out the agency in in the mid 50s and then again 
in the late seventies when he's much more established and then closer to present day where it's like, yeah, we've got a whole office building and a bunch of guys doing stuff. And, you know, and also Carl Sagan comes back. Yeah. And that was awesome. That was amazing. What, what was the line when you get that to your unknown but empirically determined point of origin? Tell them Sagan sent you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what else is cool about, about this volume? Um, oh, was, was this the one that introduced those two sort of hapless guys who work in engineering for Robo? That he shows up on their newest project. And it's like this computer is clearly evil. Mm. Or no, that's the next one. I think, I think that was the next one. Yeah, I think it's the next one. Let's see, I'm trying to look up the, the covers of the trades because that'll help me remember. Yeah, I think it's the next one. Okay, those guys are awesome. Yeah. Um, what? Any other thoughts on Volume Three? No, I don't think so. I think I'm good. I'm just going to mention Carl Sagan again because that was genius. Every time any of those guys show up, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I just I love how they brought them brought them in. It's you've got like all this like Lovecraftian crazy time travel stuff going on. You've got Dr. Dinosaur. You've got Clockwork Mummies. You've got all this crazy stuff happening across all these volumes. And then you've got actual historical figures. And it all works. Yeah. And again, like, just the amount of planning that I think has gone in behind the scenes shines through here, and that's hella cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so then we get to uh, Volume 4, uh, Atomic Robo and Other Strangeness, which is, um, like, I guess six stories or so? Uh, something like that. Four, 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 maybe five or six, in which uh, basically all take place over the course of one week. Yes. And they're all standalone stories of just complete and utter balls-out weirdness. Yeah. What I loved about this one was the first time you see Robo in the first uh, issue of this volume, he's walking into the room. There are holes in the back of his shirt that are smoking. And he's like, uh, yeah, tell those people on the phone that uh, – call them up and tell them that uh, there's been a slight delay with their lasers. <laughs> it's, at this point, you just know that something really weird just happened. But that's okay. And it's okay that they don't – you know, they, they don't have to tell you what happened. It's – that's okay. Yes. Uh, so the first story is um, an, an experiment – goes terribly wrong and opens up a portal to the vampire dimension, which has been mentioned before in a couple of other shorts. Mm -hmm. And so they have to fight off crazy vampires in their office and gives us the origin story of Dr. Uh, Fisher, who is kind of the one guy you don't expect to be an action scientist, just more like a regular scientist. Right. He's just the really nebbish, goofy one, and how he joined the team 
Yeah, and and you get the really good introduction to Jenkins in this one too. Where like you've seen him before, but this is like you know, this is his Wolverine intro moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where where there's just a series of really nasty sounds when when he attacks and it all happens off panel like all you see is a bunch of faces of people who are, are just in shocked terror by what they're seeing and then they kind of pull back and show Jenkins with it, with blood up to his like bicep and uh and just how how nasty of a dude he can be Well I mean Jenkins was rescued from the vampire dimension by Robo. So, you know, you don't really know how much time he spent there with the vampires. Right. But I love that there's a vampire dimension. (laughs) And that's how they deal with, like, you know, people not knowing about these crazy vampires and stuff. It's because, oh, yeah, they're in another dimension. Well, and they just call it the vampire dimension. They don't give it a name. Like, they don't try and categorize it with some gobbledygook. It's like, no, it is a dimension full of vampires. We don't go there. Yeah, it's it's a bad place. And then the second story has uh, Robo helping out a tokusatsu sentai team. (laughs) And I have a bizarre love of sentai parodies, so there you go. (laughs) Robo battles a sea monster with the help of the Power Rangers. (laughs) Yep, that happens. In his pink shirt. That, that's all I have to say. Power Rangers show up. That's all you need to that's, say. Yeah, that's... Th- there are thir- certain things you just don't need to explain. Yeah. <laughs> so the next story is Dr. Dinosaur! Who is amazing! <laughs> He's a talking dinosaur. He insists he has a PhD. And that he traveled from the past using crystals. <laughs> which gives us more villain banter in which Robo tries to explain that time travel is completely impossible. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Where they're 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 basically arguing about uh, Dr. Dinosaur's origin. No, you couldn't have done that. It's not possible. Time travel is impossible. But we have no problem with the fact that there's a, a vampire dimension. <laughs> no. Vampire dimension, that's perfectly fine. Time travel doesn't happen. I choose to think that it was more of a critique of the, the method of the time, uh, time travel, which was using crystals. And it's like, well, you know, Robo and Sagan, you know, all these guys, these action scientists, we're all like rational we're using our action science and following the scientific method. And here comes this Dr. Dinosaur using his crystals. Ooh. And, yep. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about this particular issue was the very last panel. Oh, what was that? It was the, it was the, uh, the X-Men parody. <laughs> with uh with uh Dr. Dinosaur being in the sewer and he's got uh um barbecue utensils in between his fingers holding him out so they look like Wolverine's claws and it's from the 
Oh, it was from the Hellfire, one of the one of the early Hellfire Club storylines. And uh, he says, "Now it's my turn." It's it's a it's a parody of uh, the cover of an old X Men issue. Ah, did not catch that one. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the X Men, <laughs> especially Claremont's run. If if you hadn't heard me say that like a billion times, yep. And then the ghost of of Thomas Edison just shows up. Yes. Doesn't really do anything. They just, like, you see the action t- scientists try and figure out ghosts. Like, their experiment to determine if it's corporeal is hilarious. They throw shit at him. <laughs> and then just a checkbox. Okay, so I might have found the image that I was talking about. It might not have been from a cover. But there you go. Let's take a look here. And that's almost exactly the last panel of the the Dr. Dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's great where they're basically going through the checklist of exactly what's going on. Um, like that one is definitely sort of setting up an eventual storyline where the ghost of Edison tries to wreak vengeance on <laughs> Robo at yeah, some point. Yeah. That one's coming. Yeah, it's it's great that you can tell that they've got, I mean, f- for as distinct and uh, as complete as each of these volumes are, you can see that there are so many stories that they can tell and so many more ways that they can tell these stories. It's just, you just are just waiting for the next one to come out. And then oftentimes when they come up with the next one, it has nothing to do with anything we've seen before. It's it's not a play on some of those dangling threads that they've left us. It's something new that they can add more potential dangling threads out there. Which leads us to volume five. Yes. Yes. Uh, Atomic Robo and the Deadly Art of Science, which is, I guess, as close to the Robo Begins origin story as we're going to get. Flashing back all the way to the 1930s with Robo teaming up with a uh, pulp crime fighter to stop a bunch of heists engineered by Edison. Yes. And this is the one where, where we get back to see that that kind of young teenager-ish Robo that, that wants to just be out there doing action science and not be stuck in the lab working behind the scenes. And he comes across as immature so well. Like he's, he's got like this, his sensibilities are totally informed by like radio dramas. He is a teenage douchebag. Yeah. And like he runs into uh, Jack Terra is uh, the, uh, the guy, the crime fighter guy. And he like runs into him and it's like, you got to make me your sidekick. It's like, and, you know, he's like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess you got to refuse me, like, at least three times before it sticks. And then at the end of the conversation, it's like, wait, that was three times. It's totally for reals. And then yeah. he tracks him down. Yep. <laughs> and then he learns how to punch people. A skill that would prove invaluable in his career. <laughs> <laughs> Mm 
And I gotta love uh, the conclusion where it's like Edison's trying to summon ghosts. <laughs> and Tesla shows up and beats the hell out of him with like a diesel punk Iron Man armor. And it's just like, yeah, I, I only invented alternating current to stop Edison from doing this. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's just... I... It's so good and, and really informs the character and shows you how the character has grown. And and kind of touches back to um, the stuff in Volume 3 where where he where he had those different aspects of himself that all came together and it showed you the growth of the character and how the character of Robo changed. And this just kind of calls back to to one of those characters from that. And also like the sweetest like little romance subplot ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like oh, the robot he found a love. <laughs> And they were so cute together. <laughs> and even just the moment where he like explains how he's mi- how precisely he's making Tesla's soup, so he can still calculate the volume of it. Yeah, it's like because Tesla really did have to measure the density of everything he ate. <laughs> so I just got distracted by finding out that there's going to be an atomic robo rpg you didn't know no i did not know i have uh i'm kind of in some email conversations to get an interview with uh the guy who's writing the rules for it right now amazing like i talked to the publisher fred hicks a while back and he's like super excited who's who is uh who's writing the rules for that it's mike olson he did uh the fate version of uh Kerberos Club. Okay. Well, I, I and I love the story of the behind the RPG, which was an interesting thing. Where um, th- this is why Twitter is awesome. Twitter is it's, awesome. Well, Brian Clevenger was talking about all these new RPGs he'd picked up, and he had mentioned a couple of Fate books that he'd picked up, and met how Fate was looking really awesome. And then mm-hmm. Frick, Fred Hicks was like, "Yeah, Fate's." Yeah, we we're pretty proud of Fate around here. We think your comic's great too. And then uh, I guess it turns out that he'd already been talking to Mike about doing a Fate version of Robo, and he was just like, "Well, now that we're talking, Fred, would you be interested in publishing this for us?" Wow. Fred's answer being, nice. "Hell's yes." No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. It was like this Twitter bromance that happened. Yeah. And the great thing is that, you know, depending on how they, they write the rules, and if they do it uh, with some of the same sensibilities as, like, yeah, one of the things I love about, like, the Margaret Weiss team that that does their stuff is they take a look at the property and write the rules and, and modify the rules to the property. And if they do it right for this, you know, if, 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 uh, if this crew does it with some of that same kind of sensibility, they could... You know they could they could do this for short games, really well, nice, really. Yeah, like really the nice. goal of uh, the Robo RPG is to like make creating characters in Fate faster, so that you can do story. You can just show up one night and it's like, okay, we're doing 1970s stuff. Yeah, you could do and... you could do one shots so nicely with something like that. 
Yeah, j- just one-shots and jumping around the timeline just as easily yep. as the comic does. Exactly, exactly. And, like the, the, like, the only criteria Fred has given Mike for it has been, like, okay, I need to be able to play um, both Carl Sagan and a 1930s crime fighter. <laughs> and Robo. And, and Robo. And yeah, you, you need to be able to do something like that, but... Yeah, Absolutely. Like I, I have very high hopes for this, especially since uh, Brian is actually writing the setting material. Oh, that's nice. I should probably start emailing Brian and see if I can interview him, too. Oh, there you go. All right, so uh, we got one more volume to talk about that is in, available in trade. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good point to cut it off because... I haven't read uh, any of She-Devils of the Pacific yet. Nor have I. Or Real Science Adventures, which is the new side series. I've got the first four issues of the new arc, but I haven't read them yet. All right, so we cut it off at Ghost Ghost of Station X. Ghost of Station 10. Station 10. Minor spoiler there. I said X. I didn't spoil it, Scott. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, yeah, this one is kind of the darkest one. Where you've got Robo on the run from the U.S. government. And really just, like, getting, really showing his angry side when he finally confronts the villain of the quote villain of the piece because uh, the, the ghost it turns out is uh, an AI that has been uh, basically building itself up out of an old uh, MI6 project started by Alan Turing and it's uh, you know it, it's an artificial intelligence that's uh, you know turned itself into a rocket ship so that it can colonize another planet and ponder the mysteries of science for all eternity and it wants Robo to help because you know us uh, or us artificial beings have to help each other have to stick together and Robo just goes ape shit on him because it's like you've been around for decades and you could have helped people you son of a bitch yeah yeah that was so good like you, you get so that he good. cares about people and the world, but here's where he really shows it. Yeah. It and what it you know what it also kind of and 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 I'd be curious to to talk to uh, to to Brian about this and see if there was anything any of it that informed this, but this is almost the reverse of the the Batman Superman dichotomy. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna it's gonna take me a little bit to spill this out, but um, so you've got Robo who is just ultimately just a good guy. I mean he's just he's just a Boy Scout. He's intelligent. He does the science. He's he's an action hero. Um, in in this in this analogy, he's gonna be Superman. And then you've got Alan, the artificial intelligence. Who is Batman? Who is analytical, thoughtful, um, insular, and has his way he's doing things. 
and they have very different ways of approaching problems. Um, the difference here is that is that this is that Batman type character taken to a ridiculous extreme that's basically completely isolated himself and is going to all be all about solving all the problems before he does anything. And what I, what I really love is you see that, that Robo who is pretty much doesn't get mad. I mean, he punches things. He's, he's physically violent, but he doesn't, there's, there's almost never any malice to it. Um, you know, he's got his, you know, he and Sparrow don't get along, but it's nothing to this level. I mean, where it's just outright rage. When he goes off on on that AI, it is just rage. And it's just it's it's a really cool moment to to see him be that human. That he's not just the happy good guy. That that he he has put thought behind all this as well. That's that's all I really have to say. Yeah. So this is also the first appearance of real life scientist Alan Turing, kind of. Yeah, sorta. Sorta. Chrissy. Um. I don't know. I just. I have to admit the first. This is the first um, Atomic Robo where I was like. You're taking a while to get to the point. Like with like just the build up to everything. I almost put it down because I was like, you know what? Normally you guys are faster and better and you don't leave me hanging so much. And Well, and the- I mean this story is much more about sort of a mystery procedural than yeah. sort of a straight up action. And honestly, I was kind of like, I want my action. (laughs) Like, I know, like, not everything Robo does is going to be action, but... I don't know. Like, the end, the payoff was worth it with Alan. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, so that's, like, I think... Like, it's a really, it does, I'm not going to say it's, like, super dark, but it's a much more serious place. And I think, you know, following it up with, you know, something called Atomic Robo and the Flying She-Devils of the Pacific might be an indication of a return to form for at least another issue, another mm-hmm. storyline. Well, and, and and I think one of the one of the interesting things that that they've done with the character and with these volumes is that they're showing Robo at different points in his in his existence and and showing the different character arcs on kind of a a meta scale without showing how he goes from from being that that rebellious teenager to this more thoughtful slightly less jump into it fist first uh character that he is in in this particular volume because he is a little more thoughtful. He is just a little bit more holding back 
part of that could be because he gets mostly blowed up <laughs> very early on in this volume. I mean, he, there's a... I think it almost has to slow down because, you know, I, I, I think it's Robo at the point in his life, you know, his quote-unquote life, where he senses his mortality. You know, you, you, you know we've seen him as a teenager in um, in volume five and now we're seeing him kind of in his middle age where it's like you know all this could be over for me at some point and the world there may be a time in the world where I don't exist and and so he has to he is slowing down a little bit he is thinking about what he's doing just a little bit more than just jumping in fist first so so just by doing that, the, there is a little bit less action until there needs to be action, and then there's a lot of it, which does happen by like the the fourth or fifth issue of this of this series. Yeah. yeah. And Station Ten also comes with one of my favorite free comic book day stories, where a to- where uh, Doctor Dinosaur invades a uh, middle school science fair to steal a prototype a little girl finished now see one of the things that i have missed out on is a lot of the free comic book day stuff well those are on um the atomic robo website but yeah. you the, in that one you find out that one robo drives uh, a van identical to the one of the a-team nice <laughs> Uh, he also uh, and also dr dinosaur acquired his his firearms through perfectly legitimate means <laughs> That's awesome. In which he went to a gun fair and where it was a two for one day and uh, bought, you know, two Uzis. His photo ID was a children's book of dinosaurs where he pointed to the Utah Raptor. <laughs> that is brilliant. Well, and then and you've got Robo subverting the young sidekick trope because the the girl she's like. I want to join you. And he's like, yeah, I get into some pretty crazy stuff. Come back to me in 10 years. And then she does. Yeah. Which is amazing. That's, that is awesome. Well, and just, well, jumping back to, um, the AI Alan, I think it's interesting how Robo equates inaction with, not be like with I don't know if I would go as far to call it evil but as not being good because I mean Robo saying you know like uh, the AI you had the ability the knowledge the influence the know-how you could influence the bureaucracy to end so much like the cold war and you didn't you kind of chose to stay back and gather information whereas for the AI it's part of his programming that it's like he's in a learning algorithm and whereas robo's like well no i was i'm all about action you don't start a team of guys called the action scientists for nothing i know it's it's also an interesting statement on um the idea of people who take up arms and fight versus the people who think about it and conscientiously do not 
they they try to think their way out of the problem where where robo jumps in and reasonably based on the stories we've read can sometimes cause as many if not more problems by jumping in fists first as as would sitting back and thinking the problem through could have could have done mm-hmm. and it's I wonder if at some point there's not a story coming where where Robo and and Alan don't in some way meet up again. Because in the end, he does still have that piece of Alan. Yep. And and that is that is Chekhov's transistor right there. Yeah. It... Or like, or what if there comes a time where Robo needs Alan's help? That would be interesting as well. That would be really good. And and he has to he has to subvert that line of thinking where it's not all about you know jumping in and 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 saving the day. Some sometimes you need to pull it back and 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 analyze. So the opposite of Star Trek Generations? Yeah. Pretty much. Don't get me started on Star Trek Generations. <laughs> the movie that should have lasted ten minutes. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I will agree with you. And once again, remind people... Don't watch the even the the odd numbered Trek movies. That is mostly true, yeah. An argument can be made for for Star Trek One because it is the most not Star Trek Star Trek movie there is. But even less Star Trek than J.J. Abrams Star Trek, <laughs> which I pretty much loved. Because it was less Star Trek than Star Trek. <laughs> that could be why I enjoyed it so much. See, now I, I keep reading the Dr. Dinosaur Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it is hilarious. Now see, I didn't know about the Dr. Dinosaur Twitter until you just mentioned it. So now I have something else to follow on Twitter. Yep. Okay, you guys, I'm not going to quote too many of them, but I will tell you to follow him because he's because he is hilarious. Revenge is a dish best served 65 million years later. That is the 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 tagline under the uh the Twitter name. I love, um, I haven't seen a debate that one-sided since Dinosaurs versus the Meteor. And, oh, great, now I'm sad for memories. Thanks. <laughs> Time travel is not a toy. Yes, I use it to watch Downton Abbey season three, <laughs> but purely for research purposes. That's fantastic. Oh. Uh. 
All right, I think we got to call this one an episode. Yeah, probably. All right, right, so uh, uh, let me be one of the uh, people to say, if you have not read Atomic Robo, do that. Yes. Issue one, uh, I believe, is still available on Comixology for, for freebies. So you don't really have an excuse because if you can listen to this, you can go to Comixology, you can get yourself a free account, you can get that issue and read it right on the website for freebies. Yes. And um, the first trade of um, Real Science Adventures comes out. Probably not long after this episode drops, so I'm super excited to read that. Fantastic. More stuff for me to buy. Yeah. Awesome. Because Real Science Adventures is a side series with a new artist, which will be mostly standalones about Robo doing crazy stuff. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty great. Like The first volume promises uh, more Dr. Dinosaur, more The Sparrow, Bruce Lee, and Communist Robots. Oh, I'm in. Bruce Very Lee, man. Much in. Bruce Lee. Follow Dr. Dinosaur on Twitter. Yeah. Amazing times. <laughs> and you could also check out the free comic book day. Um, Atomic Robo was online, too. Yes, because there's a really good one with him, uh, with a Russian nuclear scientist. I, I like that one a lot. <laughs> Very cool. And, um, yeah, like, Atomic Robo, I, I'm I'm a guy with a lot of weird shirts, but very seldom do I have two of anything related. But I have two Atomic Robo t-shirts. That's, that's appropriate. Yes, because you, you need the Tesla Dyne Industries t-shirt just to have around. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. That's pretty great. All right, so tune in next time for more stuff. Bye. Bye. Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside is released under an international attribution non-commercial share like Creative Commons license version 3.0. Please visit sbopodcast.blogspot.com for more episodes and contact information. Thank you.